Hi, I'm Anna-Claire Harper, and you're listening to The Return, property and investment podcast, sharing insights and information on key topics from real estate technology to sustainability. Feel free to get in touch or follow recent news by connecting on LinkedIn, Anna-Claire Harper. So our guest today, Angela Bryant, is a multimillionaire landlord and wrote one of the most popular and well-regarded books on property investing, The Complete Guide to Property Investing Success. She's purchased over 100 buy-to-let properties and has more than 20 years experience in the field. She's also about to release a new book on property, which addresses the dramatically changed market context. So she's the perfect guest to discuss buy-to-let property investment with us, as it was and as it will be going forward. So thank you for joining us, Angela. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Anna. So your investment focus over the years has mainly been in buy-to-let up till now, and you and your husband have had huge success in this area. But the market dynamics have obviously changed quite dramatically in the recent years, which we'll dig into later. Before that, what was it that attracted you and so many other investors to buy to let in the first place? Um, I think overall, I liked property because it was the most stable asset that I could find and also fairly simple to understand. <laughs> yeah. um, and I liked the idea of long-term hold with buy to let as opposed to doing buy to sales. It just made more sense to me. Mm -hmm. And it's been a really popular way to invest since the opening up of availability of buy-to-let mortgages, which was around 1997. What are the typical returns that have been made by buy-to-let investors in the market since then? And how do these compare with other asset classes? Well, the rate that property prices has gone up has varied, obviously, over the years. But in some years, since we've been in buy-to-let, it's been as much as 20% in our area. Other years, and more recently, modest amounts, such as 5%. It does vary by area. And, you know, some parts of the country have been less fortunate. But in our area, we've we've done well over the years overall. Do you ever look at other asset classes, whether it be kind of stocks and shares or any, any other type of investment? And compare I with property. do. Yeah, I, I, I had uh, a few years when I was investing in shares. And I, I went through a couple of phases of that actually over the years. I did it for a while and then stopped. And then I gave it another go and stopped again. But I think I never made any money overall. And in fact, the, the last time I was into shares, I lost quite a lot of money. And I just realised that uh, it's way, way more risky than property. And it's just not for me. That's really interesting. So the returns that you've got from your property investment over the same time that you, including the same time that you invested in stocks and shares, have been obviously significantly larger. You just mentioned those, but also the risk was so much higher for in stocks and shares. Oh, yeah, yeah, massively. I mean, I always used to think it's a bit of a con, actually, because you would often read up about shares and they would say something like uh, how much 
the FTSE index has gone up over the years and then compare that with property. But actually, I realised that I don't think it's a fair comparison because with shares or with the FTSE in particular, companies drop out and new ones come in. So the overall index might... (laughs) It tend upwards, but some of the companies that were in it will have gone broke and possibly if your money was with them, you'd have lost a lot. You know, I think that property is a lot more stable overall. Just focusing on buy-to-let for now, what are the Mm. different options, whether it be kind of student lets in the UK or holiday lets abroad? What are the options available to potential buy-to-let investors? Um, Well, I have very limited experience of investing abroad, but I do know people that have done so and lost money. Um, so it's it's not something that I've, you know, chosen to engage with. I think that is very much more risky. I, I'm only interested in in property in the UK within plain buy-to-let. There are various tenant types that you can have as well. Over the years, we've changed the type of tenants that we've had. Um, We have many years when most of our tenants were on benefits, Mm. but recently with the introduction of universal credit, it's become a lot more of a pain in the neck for landlords. And also, I mean, years a few years back, we used to get more rent with benefits tenants than we could with private working tenants. But they changed the system with the benefits so that it was uh, capped and would only be a certain percentage of the average local rents, which was not you know, as good as the average local rent on the open market. So we found that we could get a lot more by by renting to working tenants and we moved away gradually from from people on benefits, which is a real shame for them, I think. You've written a lot about the topic of buy-to-let and property investment to help other investors and are clearly keen on developing your knowledge. How much difference do you think it did make historically and how much do you think it will going forward for potential property investors if they know a bit more and if they sort of work on keeping up to date with market changes and regulatory changes and so on is it increasingly important or the same as ever oh no i think it's definitely increasingly important to keep up to speed because there are just more and more regulations and pitfalls to watch out for and people really need to be fully aware and you know, on on the tax front as well. I think that, you know, I used to feel that everyone should just buy to let and buy as many properties as possible and leverage up as highly as possible because it was so easy and, you know, nothing could possibly go wrong. (laughs) But now I think partly maybe just because I'm older and wiser, (laughs) but also because there is this increasing regulation and uh, the government setting out to curb by to let overall that you know there's so much that people need to be aware of so talk us through some of the bigger changes that people do need to be aware of if they're 
an existing investor or if they're thinking about starting? Um, well, the biggest change is the tax changes with uh, Section 24 that was uh, announced in uh, summer budget in 2015 and is being phased in between the current tax year and 2020. And that will restrict the amount of interest that buy-to-let investors can claim as an expense against tax. So it means effectively that uh, anyone with mortgages in their own name, their tax bill will go up if they're a 40% taxpayer. If you're a 20% taxpayer, it won't affect you. But people still need to be wary because the way that they um, they assess your income from property will be before taking mortgages into account. So effectively, in a way, your gross income. So you may fall into a 40% tax bracket without realising that's going to happen for you. With that tax change, what has really changed for a potential investor? Does this mean reducing the amount of investments or does it mean completely changing their strategies? I think um, a lot of people now are choosing to buy within a limited company because what I should have mentioned is that for some reason only known to the government, they've applied those changes only for properties that people own in their personal names. It won't be applied to properties that you own within a limited company. So more people are buying within a limited company. But then, of course, you've still got to be very tax savvy because you've got to put your mind then to how do I extract that money from the company and what happens then? Because when you extract the money from the company uh, into your personal name, you'll be taxed on that again. So you're potentially being double taxed if you do choose to take the money out. It's obviously a huge influence on profitability as a potential landlord. And actually, a lot of the points you made in your first book were around optimising your returns as a property investor. So aside from the tax point, what are the other key factors that would drive an investor or a landlord's profit? And what steps can an individual investor take to improve their returns? Um, Well, I think it's... um, We self-manage our properties, which keeps the expenses down. And, you know, that works very well for us in terms of we we have a very good income. But I know that not everyone wants to self-manage. So if you don't, then obviously a good letting agent is essential, preferably one that doesn't charge too much. And, and, importantly, that manages the property well, because it's very easy for expenses to get out of hand. And, you, you know, they should be aligned with the landlord and what works for him. And, and I've tried using various agents over the years, and I found some are a lot better than others, but some seem to give no regard to to the expenses that they suggest you incur. 
and it's I think it's increasingly important as well as it's not just regulations on landlords or tax changes that have changed, but also regulations on, for example, lettings, charges and so on that are changing. Mm. And it seems that almost anyone is capable of managing a property, but not everyone is capable of doing it in line with all the regulations. And that seems to be an increasingly important issue. Well, that's true. And there are so many regulations to be aware of. And I think a a big um, area where these come into play is when you first get a new tenant. And in fact, we've started using a letting agent consistently now for tenant find only because they have to do checks Uh, such as uh, the right to rent and they can take up the references and everything like that. There's constantly changing regulations such as you have to give tenants a booklet that the government publishes now when they first go into a property and that gets updated every so often. Landlords aren't necessarily aware of this, but it can affect if you get into a dispute with that tenant later down the line and want to evict them and you haven't set things up properly at the start of the tenancy, it can affect your rights of eviction. And that kind of brings me on to another question that I'm really interested by, especially with you self-managing, which I would assume brings you much closer to the risks and potential disadvantages of investing in buy-to-let. And certainly that's been the case in my experience where I've self-managed. You really feel the pain when things do go sour. Talk Mm -hmm. us through some of the downsides from your own personal experience and how often they actually arise. Um, uh, Do you mean in terms of of difficulties with tenants? Yeah, whether it be crazy parties being held in your property or... Just a simple case of arrears because someone's got sick and can't work or whatever. I mean, how often does that happen across a portfolio? Yeah, you know, we've we've had quite a few horrors over the years, especially with uh, benefits tenants, unfortunately. I think the worst story I can probably think of off the top of my head, because it made me laugh, I heard that Jeremy Corbyn is now saying that tenants should be allowed to have pets by default. And a lot of landlords are horrified by the idea of having to let all tenants have pets. (laughs) And, you know, some of our worst state properties when people have moved out have been where they've been dogs. Uh, We had one property in particular where the benefits tenant moved out, left two massive dogs in the property, even though she wasn't living there. And I don't know if it was her or friends or relatives were just going around and feeding the dogs. Um, And they had free reign of the house and the garden. Basically, it was covered in poo and trashed. (laughs) And uh, it it was in a terrible, terrible state by the time that we could legally get in there. Did you have to evict the dogs then? What did you do with that? (laughs) We, we, We had to go through the normal eviction process because um she 
she didn't admit that she wasn't living there. So, we, you know, we had to get possession and then it had to go to bailiffs and all these things take weeks. So they were in there for several weeks. Uh, we we didn't even fully realise the situation until afterwards. And actually, you're right. talking about that in a way that makes it sound like it's no trouble at all. But to a lot of potential investors, having to go to court and evict a tenant is quite a big deal. And it's it's not that easy. It's I mean, I guess you're used to it, but it does. It's a lot quite of times you don't have to go to court because if you evict on a section 21, you don't have to go to court. Provided you've given the right booklets and the right things at the beginning of the tenancy. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I, I mean, really, the first property that we had and the first tenant that we had in in 1995, uh, they stopped paying the rent and we had to evict them. And I can remember being very upset. We were both very upset and we thought, oh, you know, this is terrible. I'm... I- I'm so upset. I can't believe it. How could anyone behave like that? We thought about selling up that property, um, but when we thought about how much that property had gone up in value during the period that he'd been in there, we realised that it had gone up in value by more, you know, effectively on a monthly basis than the rent he he should give. So we thought it just doesn't, you know, we're not prepared to let that defeat us and upset us to the extent that we're going to stop doing this. And I think really overall, that's that thought has never left me. Um, And and also, you tend to think of the bad ones and remember the bad ones. But remember, I've probably got quite a few stories because we've got 100 properties and been doing it for 20 years. But Overall, you know, most of them are reasonably good. And something that's really interesting about you, Angela, is that despite owning so many properties and being a multimillionaire landlord, you're actually very grounded and get quite connected with the properties. So why is that? Why do you why do you do that? You don't have to. Um, yeah, you know, we've, we've always um, just worked on our own properties and stayed very connected with them. And I, to me, that's important because you get a feel for the realities. And I think if you, if you didn't do that, it'd be very easy to lose control of the expenses. Um, but we, you know, in a way, we just like living our lives that way. I go and do cleaning and painting. My husband does all the fixing at the properties. And people sometimes say to me, you shouldn't be doing that. Why are you doing those grubby things? You know, but I quite enjoy doing those things in a way I it reminds me of being a child, you know. When I was a child, I was one of eight and we used to, you know, just play out a lot of the time and come home covered in mud. And sometimes when I go to a property and I'm cleaning, um, sorting out rubbish in the garden and that, I come home and I almost feel like I've, you know, I've had an experience like in my childhood. That's fantastic. So you have good fun with it. It does sound like you have good fun with it and you don't mind kind of getting dirty. Whereas I think the general perception is almost that, like, you know, a landlord of that scale would would hire other people. But you did, like, you've just proved that 
you don't have to be like that. You can kind of stay very grounded and, and stay very involved with the properties. Um, yeah. And still yeah, be a successful I... investor. <laughs> it's quite good fun I mean my husband makes friends with all the tradesmen you know some of his best friends are are the tradesmen that work on our properties alongside him you know he mucks in but they do the more technical things and obviously we had the plumber who does uh, the boilers and gas installations and central heating and, and we do use a kitchen fitter and a bathroom fitter but there's still plenty for us to do and join in with as well. If a potential investor is kind of looking at the potential downsides and the key risks whether that be arrears or having to evict people or crazy dogs being left in a house unattended <laughs> how can they limit the chances of these key risks occurring or minimize and mitigate the impacts of them um i think a key thing is to buy in a good as good an area as you can and aim for a tenant type as good as you can and be careful with taking up references and uh, you know who you let into your property what advice can you give for how investors can make sure they understand and accurately assess and analyze the risks and the returns so whether that be in relation to the area like you mentioned or any other factors so they can be confident that they're making the right buying and selling decisions if they do decide that they want to invest in buy to let i think that they should know the area well preferably i've been through phases where i've bought non-local properties over the years most of our portfolio is local and we and we buy in an area that we know extremely well but when i've bought non-local properties they've generally been in areas that i don't know that well and that has turned out to be um some of them have gone okay and others not and i've realized that you know to some extent it was more by luck than judgment when they've gone well because i just didn't know the area well enough so i think that's a really key thing mm. um and i think it's important for people not to overstretch themselves as well you know or always give yourself margins always have some cash reserves you know yeah because stuff goes wrong boilers break um, yeah you. exactly you know people tend to push themselves to the limit to you know get as many properties as they can or push the leverage as much as they can but they really should should be cautious and have cash reserves. Yeah, that's really good advice. All right. So we've talked a bit about some of the fiscal changes in the buy-to-let world over the last few years. Um, there's also a lot of other factors that are outside the control of an individual investor. So whether it be other regulations, whether it be technology, and they've all majorly impacted the world of property investment generally and buy-to-let specifically. So what's changed and what's the impact been on demand and supply? Another key area of change that I can think of is the the way that um, lenders assess people for mortgages. They're a lot more strict now than they used to be, and particularly 
when people have got more than four properties, they have to undergo more rigorous assessments. So people need to be aware of that and prepared for that. Sorry? I said it's horrendous. I know. I find it quite amusing that people think, oh, no, no, because I've had to undergo those more rigorous assessments for years already because of the size of my portfolio. So <laughs> in a way, nothing's changed in that regard for someone like me. Yeah. And it is partly just what you're used to. Mm. And to some extent, you know, I think that new people coming in to investing today, if they can come in understanding the way that things are today and prepare to accept the way that things are today, then then it's still a good investment, basically. You know, property prices, I believe will continue to rise in the long term. They're still continuing to do well at the moment. Yields are still, you know, achievable, fair yields. And um, it is still a good, stable and attractive investment. It's just not as easy as it used to be. And I think that a lot of um, more experienced landlords, even including myself, probably tend to moan <laughs> because things aren't as straightforward as they used to be. Yeah. And in a sense, there's deliberately by the government um, more limitations and more barriers to entry for whether it be an individual first-time investor or someone with more than four properties who's classed as a portfolio landlord, there's more hurdles to cross. There's more kind of barriers to entry in a sense, um, both in terms of finance and the tax side of things. Yeah, and, you know, I do have sympathy for for the young generation who who are finding it difficult to afford properties. And, um, you know, why we have a housing crisis is, is a massive question that uh, nobody seems to fully have the answers to or or get to grips with and and you know there there is a large part of of the media and politicians that want to lay the blame with with landlords for helping to push up property prices to unaffordable levels but i tend to agree with other landlords that, you know, you can't just say that that is our fault. Basically, the population is growing and there aren't enough properties. Demand is increasing as, you know, as household sizes shrink and there's inward migration and supply just isn't increasing proportionately. Is that kind of your general response? If someone finds out you're a landlord, at a dinner party or a social occasion or something and, and doesn't like it. How do you respond to that then when they when they criticise landlords for pushing out younger potential house owners? Um, I don't think people tend to be too um, openly critical, but you, you know it's there because you see it in the media mm. um, and you do feel a bit more apologetic for being a landlord perhaps than, than used to be the case sometimes. 
obviously every landlord has problems and every property investor has problems and that's why you get paid in my view but I sort of think you're getting a fair payoff for dealing with all those problems <laughs> whether, oh, it's, yeah. whether it's boiler okay. breakdowns or whether it's um you know dealing with the tenant's actual personal issues there's so many things that you have to deal with and I sort of see it as a fair payoff. Oh, yes. I, I mean, I do too. And, you know, at the end of the day as well, we've housed a lot of people on benefits and and now we don't anymore because of all the pressures on landlords. Mm. But people talk about first-time buyers can't buy, but what about those benefits, tenants? A lot of them wouldn't ever be able to buy anyway. A lot of the tenants that we used to house, and now we're not housing them anymore, and a lot of landlords are the same. So where do they go? You know, when the private rented sector shrinks, it, it just makes things worse for them. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think that's going to make the problem of homelessness worse or where are they going? Well, I think it already is. You know, there are more and more homeless people. And I I think the fact that the government is moving in a direction to deliberately try and shrink the private rented sector is only exasperating that problem. And, you know, in fact, a, a lot of people think that maybe they've got to back off from attacking landlords and and maybe this will happen eventually even because because the direction that things are going in at the moment is just not working. I think the government had the best intention when they put these regulations in, but it's just the unintended consequences and the kind of short-sightedness of some of the policy, it seems from what you're saying, hasn't necessarily helped the cause of people in the worst off situations. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So on a more positive note, um, so if buy to let is becoming more challenging, more costly, um, and there's more sort of barriers to entry in, in many respects, perhaps it's not as hot a strategy for a potential investor. What are the hot strategies that people who are interested in property should be looking at going forward or could be looking at? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that in a way, that's the exciting thing about property today. uh, And that's the basis of of my new book. Have you got the title yet? Yes, it's the complete guide to property strategies. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there are just so many areas of property that people can get involved in today and so many different strategies. Um, there, and, and in my book, I'll cover all of these from sourcing, lease options, uh, rent to rent, HMOs, uh, serviced accommodation, lettings agents and estate agency, and development and crowdfunding. Okay, fantastic. And some of those are more focused on the investment side and some are more focused on providing a service. So in terms of investment, what are the two or three things that you're most excited about? You mentioned crowdfunding and development. Where do you see the exciting investment opportunities in property? Yes, I think for sort of... In my position, I'm most interested in the possibilities with development and crowdfunding. 
I think it's partly an age thing as well. Uh, we, we've been doing buy-to-let for over 20 years, built up a massive portfolio. Uh, we started selling some because of the tax changes. And now we're quite enjoying the fact that in selling, that lightens our workload. And so we've got sort of money that we don't, really want to go back into buy to let with, but we want to stay in the property arena. So development and crowdfunding are the main things of interest to me. One of the things that I like about development is that it does seem to go with the will, if you like, the the political will of the country in as much as we need more houses to be built. So, you know, in a way, that's on the side of, of the angels now, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So is there anything that you wish you'd known about property investment when you first started, which other people could potentially learn from? Um, trying to think... What do I wish that I knew? <laughs> um, did you anticipate it being, did you anticipate the level of challenge that you would have? Um, or did you find it all quite easy? No, I didn't. I didn't really um, anticipate that we would grow the portfolio as much as we did or that it was be as much work as it has been or that, you know, really it, it would become our life. But... It's been good to us overall, and uh, I don't I don't regret that. But yeah, there's so many things that you learn every day as you go along, and I think it's just always important to to learn from every experience and to keep in touch with with what's going on in the market. I, I do I keep in touch with a lot of things every day. I, I look at the property forums, I subscribe to the property magazines, I belong to the professional landlord organizations. I get several newsletters about property and and I still feel that, you know, from my own daily experiences and from tapping into other people's experiences in these ways that you, that you can be constantly learning and progressing. And, and I think that as long as you're always open to doing that, then then you should stay on track and do well. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question um, about oh, resources you could... No, 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 that's great. Um, about what specifically what resources would you recommend uh, for people who want to learn more and potentially invest in addition to your books? Uh, yeah, well, as I say, um, I think belonging to professional landlord organisations such as the National Landlords Association and the Residential Landlords Association is good. Uh, I go on property tribes. Uh, I think it's the website address is pro just propertytribes.com um, and join in with conversations there. There's also a lot of groups on Facebook, which are good. The magazines, um, Property Investors News and Your Property Network. And then, of course, there's also a lot of networking events. If listeners want to get in touch or find out how they can get hold of a copy of your book, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, 
I regularly post on Property Tribes, as I say, so they can see me on there or look me up. Uh, They can connect with me on Facebook or they can email me if they like at Angela at angelabryant.co.uk. And yeah, my book should be out in May and then you would be able to find it on Amazon. I, I do have a first book, which is available on Amazon already, which is called The Complete Guide to Property Investing Success. Yeah. But yeah, it is a few years old now. To buy both books. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I, I still like to think that a lot of what I've said in the first book, although you have to understand it as being dated, and I may update it sometime, but, you know, the general messages on there uh, sort of, you know, still apply. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. And thank you so much for talking us through the landscape changes in Vitalet. And I mean, I think we talked before the interview began about how some people want to hear a positive news story and some people want to hear a negative news story. And we've tried to just be honest with this interview that the market's changed. And I think it was really great that you pulled that out. It's been better, but it's still good, right? Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I hope that I don't sound negative because I still believe that property is a positive overall. But, um, you know, landlords have uh, troubles these days. And I think that people just need to be fully aware and prepared for that. But I think at the same time, people need to realise why. Why is the government trying to curb property investing? Why is it trying to curb buy to let? And, you know, broadly speaking, the answer is that it's just too damn good. Mm. Uh, you know, if if they left things the way they were and didn't try to curb it, I think that no one would ever invest in anything else and everyone would just be, be a property investor and, and nothing else. And, you know, y- you can't really allow that situation, I understand that, to, to be so unfettered. But, you know, I, I think it's worth people contemplating the fact that they have to rein us in because it's just so damn good. Well, I think that's a great note to end on there. No longer so damn good. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thanks very much for having me on the interview, Anna. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Return. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as this really helps other people to find the podcast.